This is Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. Hello and welcome to the Tap In Time podcast. This is episode number nine. My name is Victor. My name is Rodrigo. And joining us from Madrid, we have Tomas Merlo. So Tomas, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm good. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me to the podcast. It's a pleasure. You know, I've been looking forward to this because uh, I didn't know anything about you until about eight, nine mm-hmm. months ago. And uh, you had this YouTube video that you posted somewhere that I saw of you and your band playing a song. I think it was called Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, I'm like, oh, I've got I've to meet this guy someday because uh, that <laughs> song, I mean, your awesome stick playing was, was one thing. But also, I like the style of music that you were doing. You know, I love that instrumental jazz, you know, that has kind of a, a modern kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know, poppy, rocky feel to it. And I'm not sure if that's the right way to describe it. But yeah, it does. Yeah. I just remember having such a great time watching <laughs> you guys play. And so... That was kind of my first experience watching you and hearing your music. And since then, you know, every time you put something up, I've really loved it. Even your little live, you know, unedited practice sessions in the morning that, uh, you know, (laughs) Rodrigo does that too on occasion as well. And and those are really fun to watch as well. So you guys are both from Europe. So Rodrigo, have you and, and Tomas ever met in person? No, actually, we, we, we are kind of like neighbors, so he's in Spain yeah. and I'm in Portugal, so between both of us, we have full control of the Iberian Peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> but um, actually, it's not true because there, there's a bunch of stick players in, in, in Spain, amazing people, amazing musicians also. Uh, but I'm I'm with you. I, I never heard of, of Tomas because then we'll come into, the, into this about his, his old stick life, but one year and a half ago, when you started posting videos online of this, like this mm-hmm. second life of yours with with a stick, I, exactly. I think it was when you went on tour to on tour. In the, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. With uh, what's the name of the singer you were working? Serrat, Juan Manuel Serrat. Okay, that's it. So yeah. um, you started posting videos, and it was like a bomb in the middle of us newbies in the stick world because we, we've never heard of you before. So you started posting things. It was like. Oh, this guy is good, and he's like, where does where does he come from? How how long has he been playing? Who's this guy? Uh, so it was really a, a nice surprise. And since we're kind of like close enough, we never met, but we've been uh, talking on and off online, and uh, it's a real pleasure to have you here with us today to explain a little bit more about your music, about the, all of the different things you do with a stick in the terms of, in the context of a band or in the context of harmony, jazz playing, improvisations, all these things you approach with your stick playing. Uh, it sounds super cool, and it's it's been having us have a lot of questions to, to ask you. So uh, welcome to my. Thank you. So enough of Rodrigo and I talking. Let's hear from you, Tomas. Uh, so, you know, how about some musical history and then maybe how the stick uh, came into your life? Those are always really interesting things to hear. Okay. So um, I'm a professional bass player. And oh, another one. I started playing bass in late 1996 
when I was uh, 17. And um, I started playing in a band from my village. We were playing some, we were playing like weather report songs and oh. um, return to forever, all that stuff, all these uh, Jaco Pastorius things. And um, I was always interested in that kind of style because I, I come from a musical family. My grandfather was a musician and my uncle is a very like reputed bass player also in Spain. And I, I always had like Jaco and Marcus Miller and Zawinul at home. So I actually, I wanted to play guitar, but my, my father, he said, maybe you should, you should think about the bass because you're going to have more work as a bass player than as a guitar player. You know, I hear that a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not a bass player, but uh, when I participate <laughs> in, in online bass playing forums and stuff, that's that's kind of a common theme, is it? I think it's because there's there's less people who play bass. So if you play bass good enough, so there's a good chance you can get some work. But anyway, then he bought me a bass and I started with the bass and I was playing with this band. And I had a teacher who was also into Jaco and he was always like, borrow me like recordings and things and that was like um i think i was playing bass for like a year already that was like in 1997 or something like this i was 17 and he said i think there's something that you might like and he gave me a vhs video of a band i didn't know who was called king crimson and that oh. concert was live in <laughs> japan from 1995 with the double trio and things, you know? And then, so I took it home and I started watching it with the guitar player of the band. And he actually knew King Crimson, but he didn't know this like modern times of King Crimson. He knew like the old stuff. So we were watching it. And for me, it sounded weird, the music, but of course musicians were great. So it was like having fun. And that was like at the third track of that, VHS, there was this song called Frame by Frame. And Tony Levin, he just started playing this this weird instrument. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember like I was like amazed about about the sound, the sound of the bass, because it sounded so defined with a lot of definition, like really clear with a lot of punch. And this concert went on and on, and then this was this this tune together with Troy Gunn, they did this this solo, this duo solo, and I was like, "Wow, this guy is doing more than than the bass, you know? He's doing more stuff." So um, after watching this v this VHS, I was like amazed about the instrument. So I started searching on this like really um, archaic internet we had in 1997. <laughs> And I, I, I ended up at the website that Emmett had, terrible website, by <laughs> the way, and in 1997 was a terrible <laughs> website. You couldn't like really navigate on, on that, through that website. So I find the instrument and, and I, I was talking to my father, you know, like, please, you, you gotta buy me this instrument, I, I love it. And so he said, Okay, okay, I don't know what it is. I don't know if we're going to have any work with this, but okay, so I convinced him. And with the help of a neighbor, he was like studying English. So we called Emmet, we called uh, Stick Enterprises, and we ordered it. 
and I got it in the summer 1998 or something like this. It took, it took like six months or something like this. And that was a grand stick. Oh, and, all right, straight to the ground. Yeah, because I, I, I saw Tony playing a grand stick, so I thought I, I want the same one. You know, I don't know if the 10 string is going to sound the same. You know, I just didn't know anything at all about the stick. So I just knew that Tony was playing that one. I, I want that one. You know, that's interesting because there are a lot of players, I mean, with this instrument, myself included, that have ordered them without ever having tried it. We just have, yeah. you know, we just had videos like you just described. So I, I, I ordered the stick, and but before it came, I was, uh, I was still playing with this band, and uh, I started playing with a cover band. We were doing some James Brown stuff around the island in Mallorca, where I come from. And the funny thing, we had a manager who was like trying to get us some gigs around the island. And one night after a gig, we were all outside, and we were talking about King Crimson and the stick and stuff. And then the manager, he said, Hey, wait a moment. Did you say a Chapman stick? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, I'm, I'm, I'm managing a guy who just came to, to Spain, Argentinian guy called Guillermo Cides. <laughs> oh. and I, was, I was no way. Really? I didn't know Guillermo. So he gave me a cassette with uh, Guillermo's first album. And that was the first time I heard the stick doing something else rather than playing just the bass, you know, because Guillermo is doing a bunch of stuff with the stick. So he gave me the phone number of Guillermo. I called him up. He was living in, in Denia, which is like in Alicante. I had to cross the sea because Mallorca is an island. And I, I arranged with him a lesson. So I, I flew to Guillermo's place and he gave me a first lesson. He didn't charge me anything. He was super nice, really nice guy. And that was the first time I played a Chapman stick. He's uh, 10 polycarbonate stick. Just let me ask you, is that before you got your own stick or did you? Yeah. Okay. So, so did you say your stick, your stick was on the way when you did this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. so that was the first time I played a stick. So All I had right. this lesson with Guillermo and then the stick came and, um, I like immediately started playing the stick in those uh, cover bands I was playing with. You know, I, I locked down myself in a room and I just studied this method, which, which I still have from that time. <laughs> oh, Emmett, he's holding Emmett's up method. Emmett's Freehands book. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I started playing uh, like in all these cover bands in Mallorca and. Um, I don't know how, but I got to know about the European Stick Seminar in 1999. And he was holded by Ron Baggerman, Greg Howard. Virna Splendor was also there before she passed away. Where was that Stick Seminar? Where was it? In Holland. In Holland. In Leeuwarden. Okay. So I went to this seminar. I met Greg Howard. And that was a nice uh, experience. And later that year, I was actually invited by Greg Howard to join a concert who was also happening in Holland, in Tilburg. And so I played there with, uh, with Greg and other two Dutch stick players. 
this was in like 1999 or so, or like just you'd had your stick for two years. I was playing for a year, something like this. The stick. Okay, and then you, and you, you're playing for a year, and you're up there playing uh, in a concert. Were you playing solo or in a band at that time? I was playing solo. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. And that actually is very close to the end of my first uh, stick life because. In the meantime, I I was really into jazz, and I got into double bass, into upright, and I was um, playing a lot of jazz around. And um, I wanted to I wanted to study. I wanted to like have a, a real jazz education. So I I applied for the Conservatory of Amsterdam in Holland, and I passed the exam. And that was the time I I quit completely playing the stick because I had no time of doing anything else, you know? And um, in that moment, I was just uh, so much into the upright and into playing jazz that I didn't know what to do with the stick because I was I was mostly playing solo and I was seeing that Greg and all the guys were playing solo. So I was kind of losing the interest on, on the instrument. Mm. So I sold, I sold my stick, and that was uh -huh. like the end of my stick life. So we're talking about 99, 2000, around this time? Yeah, beginning of 2000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, the, the, there's a funny moment that I, I got a phone call. I was at home, I got a phone call, and my mom, she said, Thomas, is, is, is for you. Who is it? I don't know. She's talking in English. So I, I took the phone and it was Utah. Wow. Oh. Yeah, it was Utah and she was kind of like sad because I stopped I stopped playing the stick and she was asking me some questions. Why did you stop playing the stick? And because back then, you know, I, I was playing a stick for a year. I was very young. And I guess now there's a there's a bunch of younger stick players. Back then there were not so many. And I was far the youngest at these uh, seminars and I was getting uh, like a lot of support from Greg, you know, so it was kind of a surprise that I all of a sudden stopped playing the stick. Right. So um, that was nice, actually. That was, it was a nice, nice phone call. Yeah, talk about customer support, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm wondering how she heard. I mean, you probably didn't go out in the world and say, "Okay, I'm done with stick." I guess I called I, I called Guillermo because Guillermo was um, was in charge of, of getting like all the orders, the stick orders in Spain. So I don't remember very well, but I, I think I I called Guillermo first to to sell my stick, and maybe he called Stick Enterprises oh, yeah. to see if there was a customer that wanted the secondhand stick. Yeah, that follows. Just to, to, to put things into perspective, from what I know at that time, orders being or sticks being bought in Europe could be bought directly in Spain through uh, a stick center, right? With Guillermo cities, you could order. Yeah, the stick, cent stick center came like in, in 2000. When I ordered my stick, the, there was no, uh, no stick okay. center or anything. To Guillermo just arrived to Spain, so I, I had to call directly to Stink Enterprises. Okay. Because uh, today we have to go we deal directly with Amit again, but I think for, for a few years, you could do it in Spain. And I think up there in, in Norway, there was a, a dealer also. So you could, you could, um, that, that Italian guy, I don't remember his name now. I don't know. 
what, what I know is that now in Spain, it's still with the Yerba. There's been some times where you can uh, buy sticks uh, through uh, dealers, local dealers. I think uh, I know there's a, a stick dealer in in Japan, so Japanese people don't have to go directly to the to the United States. Mm. Uh, they can buy them directly in Japan. But um, yeah, so just to put things into perspective, so. Mm-hmm. So cool. So that was the end of your first stick life. What happened next? So I've been a bass player and um, I've been touring around with many people. And um, there was one point that I, I, I bought another stick, but I actually I just didn't play it. I had a student who had a music store and uh, he said, what do you want? I, I can pay you the lessons with money or we can trade for like material that I have uh, at the store and uh, and wow. say, okay, let, let me see what do you have. So I, I saw this uh, rosewood 10 string stick and uh, I said, okay, you know, I I take that one. So I, I, I took that stick. I don't believe that. <laughs> really? Yeah. You yeah. got a stick for, for just lessons? Exactly. That's so cool. So this music store wanted you to teach bass lessons to music store students? No, to the owner of the store. Oh. So how many, just just to be curious, just curious, how many lessons did you have to give for a full, for a Chapman stick? <laughs> a few, a few. It's like the new currency in the stick world. <laughs> it, was, it, it wasn't very expensive. It was, um, it cost 1200, 1200 euros. And um, I'm not going to say how much I charge for the lessons, but, but I had to give a few a few months, maybe almost a year of lessons. But, but uh-huh. anyway, I I got this Chapman stick and like many sticks, unfortunately, was like lying under my bed. Actually, you know, like I wasn't really, I, I wasn't really playing it. And I was just curious of having another one, but I, I didn't play it at all. And uh, I sold it after a year. And two years ago, I had like something like ringing in my head. Uh, I was going on tour and it was a, a very long tour. It was a whole year touring all around the planet with this uh, famous Spanish singer, Joan Manuel Serrat. And I thought, damn, I'm gonna have like a lot of free time because when you are touring, you know, it's, it's just about taking planes going to the hotel and playing and going to the hotel back. So it's, it's, it's a lot of hotel hours you're gonna spend. So I thought, in that moment I thought, I want a grand stick. I need a grand stick. 
and um, I didn't know how to get one because if I call Emmet, it will take like six months to come to Spain. So uh, I thought I have to look for a second hand. And I remember that I had a friend, a bass player, who had a who had a grand stick. So I called him up. Hey, um, Alfonso, do you still have your grand stick? And he said, Oh no, man, I'm sorry, I, I don't have it anymore. I sold it. And I, I, I said, for how much did you sell it? And he said, 1,200 euros. Okay, to who did you sell it? <laughs> and he said, you were chasing I, 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 I sold it to a, a bass player. I think he's an actor too. <laughs> and I said, give me his phone number. I'm going to call him. Uh, so I called this guy who I don't know at all. You know, this uh, bass player, uh, slide actor. And I said, hi, I'm, I'm Thomas Merlo, I'm bass player. And... Um, I heard from Alfonso that you bought a grand stick from him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, do you use it? He said, well, I mean, I don't really play it. Uh, I, I'm an actor and I use it for the attrezzo in, in, in my acting. And I said, come on, really? I buy it. I, I, I want to buy it. And he said, oh, I don't really, I don't really know. And I said, just told him, you, look, I give you 1,200 euros right now if you want it for, for your <laughs> stick. <laughs> uh, and he said, well, I have to think about it. Okay, think about it. So I hang up. Two minutes later, he calls me up. Okay, deal. And I said, <laughs> fine. <laughs> so I bought this grand oh, stick. Great. So he wasn't playing it? What was he doing with it? As a, as a prop, you know, in uh, theaters, you know, the, theaters. those things oh. that you have for, for the Okay, the like he's in some production of Dune or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the stick was just lying there, you know, in some uh, acting or whatever. So I, I thought... Oh, I mean, that is rich. Someone yeah. paid 1200 bucks for a stick to use as a prop. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> so I bought this grand stick, which is the one I have right now. So I took it to my tour and I got really into it. And that was the moment I started like posting all these videos, like in hotels and playing all the. That's the moment you crashed into our lives when you started posting those videos. Exactly. So suddenly there's Tomas walking in hotel rooms and playing and uh, and doing duets. You, you were doing duets also. With exactly. People you so I had this, uh, this nice idea, you know, like I, I was traveling all around South America and um, I had some friends over there and, and I thought it would be nice to like to record duets like in, in every country I go, you know, and um, I started posting like that stuff. Wow. And uh, I was practicing my ass off in the, in the hotel and that's the only thing I was doing. By the <laughs> end you had you had a, like a record, right? You, yeah. You, you did a, a whole uh, record. At the, at the very end of the tour, I... I uploaded in Bandcamp this uh, this album, which contained all those sessions I was doing in hotels. What was the name of the singer that you were touring the world with? Juan Manuel Serrat. He's very well known. Okay, I just want to look this person up, maybe find some videos of you on the stage with them playing bass. Yeah, he's, he's very well known in, in, in all these uh, Latin countries, but we actually played in, uh, in the States. We played in New York. And in Miami, you know, for the Latin community, of course. Yeah. Wow, that is impressive. So just to, to finish this, so you were recording all these things in, uh, in the hotel rooms. Uh, just to get a bit technical about it, how were you recording it? 
because you had the stick and I didn't, I don't remember you having any pedal boards and stuff like that. So no, I had just uh, my, my laptop and my, my sound soundboard and I was just plugging it direct. So you're using plugins in logic, stuff like that for, for the sound? Just a bit of reverb from logic and that's it. It was uh, basically totally clean. Cool. So we're talking about one year touring with, with Second Life with a stick, one year with a stick. What happened next? So you, then you went back to Spain and you, the, the whole thing with your, with your band, with your trio and... Uh... Yeah, so I, I, I put together this trio and we recorded a, a few videos and doing my original stuff. And we were actually going to record an album in April of this year, but you know, our little friend came to our lives and uh, we had to cancel the recording. Yeah. And, and that's it. I mean, now it's beginning to, to be a little better in the situation. So maybe, maybe I'll record this album in December of this year because things are going slowly in, in Spain. So yeah. what's the name of the trio? Tomas Melro trio? Yeah, it beginning it began as uh, Tomas Merlo Trio. Now it's Tomas Merlo Group because uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> there's more than yeah, three. Yeah, of them I now. have the intention of uh, of recording with more people in the album. It, actually, the tune that was going to open the album it has a string octet, so I, I wrote an arrangement for strings, and uh, so there's going to be a lot of people plus uh, flugel and cool. saxophone. So it's going to be a, a bigger band for the album. And is this all instrumental or will you have vocals? No, it's uh, only instrumental music. It's like y your own music or uh, uh -huh. all exactly. original songs? Okay. All originals, yeah. So can I ask you a question? So from what I see, and, and or one of the differences between your first life and your second life with the stick is, first one you were playing solo, this time you're just playing in a, in a group context, although you're the leader, And the stick mm -hmm. has a leading voice, but it's always with other musicians, right? So mm -hmm. what is it different about it and why do you prefer it with other people? Okay, um, in, my, in my previous uh, stick life, I, was, um, I wasn't a mature musician. So I, I didn't know a lot about harmony and improvisation. And I was very influenced by the regular stick playing, you know, I was, uh, I was doing basically Emmett's, Emmett's method, Emmett's way of playing, like doing motoric bass lines on the left hand and leading voices on the, on the right hand. And I was like playing like very much stick-like. And in my second life, now I'm a, I'm a fully educated musician and I took the stick in a very different way. I, I'd say, you know, I'm looking at it more like a piano, like harmony wise. I, I find the stick a very easy instrument when you know harmony. It's like very logical and, and very easy to do very complex harmonies. And uh, the way I'm playing it in my band, I'm, I'm actually playing like, like a bass player and a guitar player. I'm not thinking too much doing of like a, a stick-like way of playing. Actually, when I play solos, I'm not playing the bass at all. You know, I, I leave the keyboard player do the bass 
And that's because we are playing uh, improvised music. We are doing jazz, basically. I mean, it's, it's just rock, jazz fusion. And one of the most important things in jazz, I find, is uh, interaction. So if I have to solo and um, I have to keep a bass line, a motoric bass line, so there's one part of the interaction that is missing already. And it's really a shame because the drummer likes to interact also with the bass and the keyboard likes to interact with the bass and stuff like that. So I said, I thought, you know, one of the problems of the stick, I mean, the stick has like a very uh, a big gift, which allows you to play many things, but also sometimes it can become a problem because you feel like you have to do a bunch of stuff because you're able to, of doing it. So it was like an exercise, exercise of, taming the beast you know like when you have a wild horse and you want to to ride this horse you have to tame the horse so it was like i have to tame the stick you know i have to be able of controlling myself so if i have a, a great <laughs> keyboard player who can play amazing bass lines so i should let him do these bass lines so we can all interact so i can solo just concentrate on my soloing and construct the solo with uh, with the development you know so when you're doing that and your keyboard player is handling the bass duty, what's your left hand doing? Is your left hand playing chords on the bass side of the instrument or is the bass side of your instrument nothing? Sometimes that's nothing. And, and, and sometimes I do like my solo lines. Sometimes I construct them with two hands. Okay. So sometimes it's two handed melody, so exactly, to speak. Exactly. So I, I basically like took the stick as something else, you know, I thought, I have to forget about the past and, and about how it's supposed to be played or whatever, the, the stick, because I thought we, we don't have to forget that the stick is an instrument that is actually made to cover the needs of one person who was Emmett Chapman. He had like a vision of, of doing music, of playing music, and he didn't find the instrument, so he just built an instrument for his needs. But that doesn't mean that you have to take the stick and, and play it with the same technique and the same way he, he plays it, because we are all different persons. I, th I think you said it, you said it greatly a little bit while ago. You said just because you, can, you have everything there, it doesn't mean you have to do it all, you know, so you can choose. Yeah. 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 Much like a piano, actually. Yeah. So yeah. if you're a piano in, in the same context of a trio, the piano player, although he can go very low, lower than a bass, actually doesn't usually yeah. is not playing the the bass part. Exactly. That to the bass player. So, which leads me to my question. So, how about you having a bass player in the the band, just to to cover that specific? Because you're a bass player, and you know, as I am a bass player, that mm -hmm. very fulfillment and fulfilled role. Although it doesn't, most people don't know it, and it doesn't really catch the eye. Uh, the bass player is very important. He's doing a lot of things and he's interacting, as you said, with everyone else. So if you're not playing the bass and the, the keyboard player is, then there's some there's another piece missing, which is who's playing the, the, the harmony or who's playing the keyboard. No, I mean, the, the keyboard player, he has two keyboards. One is just meant for playing the bass. He has okay. like a really nice bass sound. And with his right hand, he's playing the harmony. And I, I, oh, I, I really okay. like it like that, you know, I'm not missing a bass player. And also because it's funny because 
me and the key and the keyboard player, we both have perfect pitch. So when we do our improvisations, we always do these little games like following each other. He he plays one chord and then I play the same and I improvise over it and we do it the other way around. So in order to continue with that game, we do. I should like hire a bass player who has also perfect pitch, who is able of following us <laughs> like at the same time, you yeah. know. So it'd be the Tomas Merlo perfect pitch band. <laughs> PPB perfect PPB. pitch band. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things about about interacting with another musician is if you put too many people interacting, like if you're playing by ear and you're following each other, if you add too many people in the mix, then it becomes chaotic because exactly. people will go in different opposite directions. So it, mm. yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, but um, I know you do some, some solo stuff uh, or some pieces of the music. You, you just, you know, you focus on the stick and you do everything like stick, like, or not using the stick as one would usually would, but you sometimes do it. You have all the band focusing on the, on the stick. So like a ballad or something. Right? I mean, that's the impression I have. You're doing both. Mm -hmm. Bottom line, you're doing whatever you, you feel like with the, with the instrument, right? Yeah, exactly. Huh. And what kind of tuning do you use? Normal. Yes, uh, six plus six. What, uh, classical tuning? That's the name of... I think it's like the, 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 the classical stick tuning, Because right? there's so many I mean... different tunings these days. Yeah, now there's a lot of tunings and even like crossed and, and uncrossed and stuff like that. It's just the classical stick tuning from the 70s. Well, Victor, what, what do they call them? Th that tuning, it's a... Uh... I think that it's called classic tuning. I'm not sure it's classical. Classical is the type of music, but but yeah, it's classic tuning, I think, is what classic. he is describing. Yeah. If he's meaning the tuning yeah. from the 70s, yeah. Classic tuning. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Tomas just showed us his strings, and now we know he's He's using light uh, strings, so that's uh, another thing that's important. Yeah. What he's yeah. doing and how he's, he's doing it, I, I'm guessing it, it makes a lot of difference having those kind of strings. You were saying? Oh, I was just saying that it's a little bit weird but impressive that, uh, that Tomas, you didn't have a ready answer to what your tuning is because you just have a tuning and you're a musician and you just deal with it. So many of us, <laughs> you know, oh, it's matched reciprocal. I know because the songbook I bought was matched reciprocal. I had to lean on a songbook or, you know, or my lesson material is matched reciprocal, you know, for me. Whereas you're just like, oh yeah, it's an instrument. It's got fifths and fourths and I just play it. And I don't even think about what the tuning <laughs> is. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, when, when I when I first bought my, my first stick, I think it was the only tuning available. So I, I just got, got uh -huh. used to this tuning and I, I find it. I, I, and there I, you go. No reason to yeah, change. Yeah, I find it very logical. I, 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 yeah, I don't have a reason yeah. to change. Actually. It depends. Actually, when you find something you're comfortable with, you just go with it, you know, mm. and you then you start exploring the instrument and the music and whatever. And if, if you're okay with the, the tuning you have, it's, it's what you have. I had to think of because when I bought my first stick, there was a bunch of them. So I had to uh, read about them all and trying without ever, ever trying a stick and just, you know, I, I think this, this should be okay. And, and it did. So that was that. But when you have too many options, then you, you start <laughs> paying attention to details when you have to buy them. Because it's like uh, if there's 
eight strings, 10 strings, 12 strings, if there's aluminum and if there's wood and if there's different tunings and all this stuff, then suddenly you have so many things you have to decide before <laughs> you buy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, this is just a shout out to Gene Perry. Gene wasn't able to make it here today for this recording session, but um, Gene, I got to say, you just heard a few minutes ago, Tomas lay down the ultimate stick analogy. It's like taming the beast. It's like a wild horse. So Gene, Gene, the bar is set for your next analogy. You got to be that. You have to be Good that luck, price because I know Gene's last stick was, was a real binding. He, he bought it and was really cheap. Uh, but to trade a stick for, for lessons, man, that beats everything. So <laughs> for me, that's the ultimate goal. You know, you have to trade them for everything, yeah. anything, something. Yeah, but you know, like it's true. I always find this with many instruments, not only the stick, you know, like being able of, of just playing at the right moment, what, what the music needs. Sometimes it's a very difficult task to achieve of, uh, for a musician, you know, and um, I'm very uh, critical with myself. So I always record myself playing, you know, and, and sometimes I'm listening to myself and I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm playing so much. I'm, I'm doing so much stuff, you know, also with the electric bass because I'm, I like playing many things, you know, like Jaco and all this. And uh, that's why, you know, I decided to keep it more simple with the, with the stick, you know, like just playing the bass when I have to play it and playing the, the right notes when I have to play them and that's it, you know? So I, I find it, it's, it's like a beast, you know? It's like, you can do so much stuff with it. But... <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to play too many things, but it's even harder to just to play enough, you know? When it's enough, it's exactly. enough, you don't have to. Yeah. Okay, so Tomas, I'm curious a little bit on your thoughts on how you manage your signal chain or maybe what sort of effects you like or maybe what sort of effects you dislike. Uh, so talk about what you do with that signal. All right, so I plug my bass side through a, a, a bass amp. It's a brand who I'm uh, endorsed. It's called Taurus, it's a Polish brand. It's, um, I don't know how to say that in English. Well, it has like two 10 inches uh, speakers, 500 watts. It has uh, one valve and it's, um, it's meant for bass and it sounds like really, really clear and, and powerful. Okay, so it's a two by 10 and it's a tube? Yeah, tube, yeah. That's... It sounds really clear, really defined and, and, and very powerful. It's a very nice amp I use for the upright and for the electric. And uh, I don't have actually any effects on the bass side. I, I have a volume volume pedal and that's it. So I keep it like clear and, and, and clean, no effects on the bass side. So what sort of pickup are you using on your stick? The stick up. 
for me is the is the one that I like best actually. And then for the melody side, I have a uh, uh, Hughes and Kettner, Hughes and Kettner, I think. Hughes yeah, and Kettner, yeah. Yeah, Hughes and Kettner guitar amp. It's a very simple one, like kind of like a jazz chorus, Roland jazz chorus. It's a jazz amp actually. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I'm using some effects. I have the guitar plugged through a, a Roland GP hundred from the 90s. I don't know if you know that module. It's a um, digital preamp processor. Oh. And it's a very nice one because it has like kind of uh, analog way of uh, of like working with the sound. So it's very simple, but the sounds are very like kind of modern because I was I was searching for a guitar sound like close to Alan Holsworth. Oh. And I was I wasn't getting it with uh, with normal pedal pedal amps. And the Roland GP100 it has like really nice uh, effects. It's kind of like easier to get this Alan Holsworth kind of clean and distorted sounds. And the the funny thing about this processor I have here is that um I bought it almost together with the stick, with my first stick back in 1997. And uh, when I sold my stick, I, I sold also this GP100. And I, I sold it via a magazine uh, that, that we had in my island. So I don't know to who I sold it, actually. I sold it to this magazine. I, I send it, they they send me the money, and, and that's it. So two months ago, during the, the lockdown, well, actually the, the, we were already out of the lockdown. Two months ago, a friend of mine, a guitar player, posted a video on Facebook doing uh, some Alan Hosworth stuff with the guitar. And I saw in the back this Roland GP100. And I was like, oh wow, this Roland GP100. I need to get one because it's impossible to get one right now, you know? And uh, I called him. And I said, hey, uh, Jose, I saw a video of you with the Roland GP100. And he said, oh, yeah, I, I actually, I don't use it. You know, I just use it for this video because I could get this Alan Hosworth sound. And he said, don't tell me that you want to buy it from, <laughs> from me back. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, you sold it to me in 1997. And I said, oh, no, really? I sold it to a magazine, I mean, via magazine. Was it you? He said, yeah, it, it was me. So I said, oh, can wow. I buy it from you? <laughs> so it, it came back, it came back home. So <laughs> that's cool. That's funny. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm, I'm basically using this uh, GP100 and uh, I love it. You know, it has like really nice clean sounds and uh, ambient sounds and the distortion. It's very, it's very nice. So this is a pretty big unit then. Is this a rack or is it a floor? It's a rack. No. Uh, Okay, okay. For the stick playing, and your stick playing in particular, in that kind of context to playing jazz and playing with your trio, I remember you were having like a, uh, some gigs in a jazz festival or something like that. Yeah. Well, these days everything's a bit messed up because of the, the whole virus thing, but how is the music scene in, in, in Spain for Chapman stick players in particular? Because I know there are several. Uh, Do people know it already, or do they still think? It's I just know Guillermo actually, and actually there are not that many. 
the thing with the stick players is that most of them are not uh well i, I also know jero jero from catalonia but most of them are not are not really professional musicians or if they are they are not using the stick that much so you cannot really you, you don't really see them playing around in, in jazz festivals I'm, i'm the only one actually that is doing it because when i went to stick camp in 2015 in mallorca so there, there was guillermo of course there was hero and there were like three or four other guys from spain probably not all of them were spanish so probably there was some people coming from argentina or something argentina, that lived in spain uh, yeah. but they were playing in bars and doing gigs and uh, at least to me that was just starting then but they all seemed like a whole lot proficient more proficient than i was so they, they looked like professional musicians to to me so i don't know i mean in the area where i live i don't know any other stick players okay So it's it's do you still feel like you're opening doors whenever you play the stick whenever you have to explain to people what what's your band about and what you are doing or is it easy or is it hard you know Actually you know the funny thing I mean I've been playing this year this last year we did Zaragoza Jazz Festival the Madrid Jazz Festival now we are doing in two weeks we are playing in a jazz festival in Asturias too and not so many people ask about the stick and that actually i kind of like that you know because people is just focusing on the music and the the, the instrument is not getting all the attention so i i mm. i kind of like that and uh, when i when i sell my band to festivals and Of course I have to talk about the stick but um it is not a main part of my uh, how you call dossier of the of the packet you know when uh, I'm just saying I'm selling a band who is doing jazz with uh, with other two great musicians and the programmers they see it they like it and they they gave me the gigs but um it's funny they didn't say much about the stick There was only one concert at the end of the of the Madrid Jazz Festival. Two guys came to to the stage to see the instrument and and asked me about. And they were actually Argentinian. They're not even Spanish. Mm. They asked me about the the instrument. But um, for me, it, it's been like selling any other band that I had. You know, mm -hmm. like wow. So it's about the music. Yeah. So how how do you position yourself? Like you see yourself as a bass player, as a stick player, or both, or a combination of both. How do you picture yourself when you try to organize it in your head? How do you picture yourself? Well, right now I'm I'm in a moment of my life that I regarding work, I see myself as a bass player. Doesn't matter if it's electric or upright, you know, for me it's the same. Mm -hmm. And in my artist life i'm like focusing more on the chapman stick because i already have two recordings with the electro bass and uh it, it all work work like fine but i think it's it's easier for me to have something to say different than the rest with the chapman stick than with the electro bass i mean electro bass is full of amazing electric bass players and um everything you do 
it rather sounds like Jaco or like Marcus Miller or like Jeff Berlin or Adrian Ferro. I mean, it's already like very, very busy, that space, you know? And with the stick, it's not that much. And uh, I don't know, like, I find that, I, that everything I do with the Chapman stick, it sounds more original than the stuff I used to do with uh, with the electric. So I find myself, you know, like as a working musician, I'm a bass player. And as an artist right now, I'm focusing on the stick. And how do, how do you compose? Most of the things you you compose for, you play on a CCAR compositions of your own. How, how does that work? How do you compose? Do you sit? Do you write it before you play it? Do you play it and figure it out on the instrument? How does it work in your... I basically, I write almost everything on the piano. And actually, this, uh, this, these tunes you've seen on, on the stick, you know, these videos, two of them were composed on the piano. One of them was composed just on the airplane, like singing, singing the, the melody and, and the bass lines. That's, um, that's one of the things about having perfect pitch that you can also compose about, you know, thinking. <laughs> but um, I normally write on the piano. I write on the piano and then I figured out how to play it on the stick or on the bass or whatever. Okay. You know, I, I always think about the melody first and the harmony and then I place the bass. Hmm. And um, the way I actually wrote for for this trio, I was also like taking in mind with who I was going to play with. Because sometimes you write music and you try with different guys, it doesn't work and it works with one, but the other one doesn't work. So I had like very clear in my mind that I wanted to play with Jorge on keyboards and Miguel on drums. So I composed the songs thinking about their way of playing. And it also makes it really, like, really easy because first, first time we met on for the rehearsal, I just gave them the, the charts and uh, they had already an audio of, of myself playing it, but no keyboards, no drums. And I just told them, just do whatever you want. And uh, it went like the way I thought actually, because I knew their way of playing like very much. Yeah, that happens when you're, first of all, when you know the musicians yeah. good enough and when they're good enough to correspond to that. It's exactly. actually really easy. Like you, you just leave the space, you, you know that guy's going to fill this space very well and that guy's going to be here doing whatever he does. It's going to sound great. So you mm -hmm. just laid out the, the plan for them to use their own tools. And usually that's uh, a very, a very smart way of think of working with the creative musicians is if you know yeah. how they are creative you just yeah give them enough information to let them yeah also happens one thing that because we are all like working musicians sometimes there's no much time to do many rehearsals before a gig so actually we did one actually no, maybe two 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 rehearsals before we recorded these videos because they were all touring with with different people, so when you write thinking about them, it's it, it makes everything like easier. Because I always have to count that Jorge maybe is gonna have two days free in one month, and the same with Miguel because they are all touring all the time. So that's cool.
just to finish this train of thought, where do you picture yourself and the band or without the band? But so next year is going to be a, a new album out. But where do you picture yourself in like five years, 10 years with the, the artistic Tomas with the Chapman stick? I don't know. I'm, I mean, I just want to release an album. I really want to do it. It's something that uh, it's been in my mind already for a long time. And I want to do an album with the stick. I hope it works. I hope I hope we can do like as much gigs as possible. But um, I don't have like huge expectations. I mean, I mean, I don't see myself playing at the Montreux Jazz Festival or something like this. That would be awesome, you know. But um, I'll be happy enough if I can sell as many CDs as possible. If the people likes it, likes the music. You know, if they buy a CD with a with a different instrument like the Chapman CD, okay, that's really nice. It's hard to say right now with this uh, COVID thing uh, in the yeah. middle, and I don't know, man. I don't know. I hope I'm I'll be able of recording my album in December, and I'm not gonna be locked down. So it's it's hard to say. The reason I'm I'm asking is. We're living the beginning of the, the Chapman Stick road, right? So we're laying out the foundations for whoever comes in the next 50 years. So what you are doing today will leave a mark on uh, whether you want to or not. So in 20, 30, 40 years, there will be people listening to what you did uh, to I your so. uh, band record. And yeah. It's going to leave a mark. So uh, the, the reason I am asking is, so what kind of a mark do you want to leave? You know, So like in 20 years, when people look back at you, Where do you picture yourself? Like, I know you, you like Bill Evans, and I know you're trying some of, the, of those Bill Evans voicings in the in the stick, and it sounds really cool. And the the way you approach it, it's it kind of like nobody's really done that with the Chapman stick, you know, the, that kind of a, of harmonic approach to it. I mean, there's a bunch yeah. of musicians playing mm -hmm. jazz, but nobody's doing what you're doing, so it's quite original already. So that would be nice. I mean, to leave a mark. Yeah, it's true we are seeing the beginning of the stick life, but uh, the stick is already 50 years old. So it's um, old enough to start like being more present in the music uh, life, in the music instrument in industry. And um, I think for what I see, I am missing more like full educated musicians playing the stick. It is like too much inside of the rock I mean, they are full of educated rock players, don't, don't get me wrong. But um, like using it in a different way, in a more professional context, because if we see how many professionals are like like really well known, there's Tony, and uh, of course there's Greg inside of the stick wall, but the stick wall is still like really small. It has to expand. I mean, I would like to to see like more people guitar players and the bass players like professionals getting interested on the on the stick because you can do many things you can do almost everything you want with the stick so i hope you get my idea that brings up maybe an interesting question what would you focus on a little bit from that education standpoint what is most like i can tell you the way i work with the stick for instance you know the way the way i practice the way i study And um, I always take both sides separately. And uh, the way I study and I teach it is like, like I would teach any other instrument. So uh, first I start like learning the positions, learning the logic of the uh, of the tuning. 
and learning all the notes. So when I learn a scale, I know that the first fret on the on the bass side is a C sharp, and I know that the last fret is a B. So what I do is I, I take one scale, for instance, like C major scale, and I try to run through the whole neck from the lowest note from the C scale to the highest, which is will be will be a B. And I do it with all the scales. So I, I practice all over the fingerboard, arpeggios, scales, and then chords. So then I, I'm, I'm able to see the whole fingerboard, to know all the notes around the fingerboard. And then I, I start like learning how to come in many different styles with the bass, like playing rock, bossa nova, walking bass lines, funk lines, everything what I would teach on a bass. So learning arpeggios, learning harmony, learning all the modes, like all over the fingerboard. And I do the same thing with the guitar side, you know, with the melody side. I learn always the scales from the lowest point to the highest point. The arpeggios, same thing. Chords, comping, and like many styles. And then also improvisation, you know, when I teach like jazz improvisation, jazz is a very particular style because you don't only have to learn the scales, but you also have to learn how to speak that language because it is the language. It has a way of timing the notes with the swing feel, many things involved. So I, I teach as, as much harmony as possible with the instrument. And then I place both hands. So I try to like do harmonies, play standards, play melody on the right side, play melody on the left side, everything I can do, everything I would do on the bass or on a guitar, but everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, of course, do a lot of reading, side reading music, like classical stuff, because I mean, the stick, it, it doesn't really have a history. So I take like classical stuff to learn how to side read on the instrument, to practice independence, you know, like there's a book, like a really easy one from uh, Anna Magdalena Bach, Yes, yeah, the and notebook of Anna helps yeah, a lot to do all this back stuff because you can run through the whole fingerboard and then you know the notes. And uh, I always like try to to tell the students, I mean, the stick, it is a difficult instrument, but if you know a lot of music, if you know reading, if you know harmony, it helps a lot. It is like any other instrument. I mean, all the instruments are are very difficult. It depends on the level you want to achieve. I mean, if you want to play really good electric bass, of course, you will have to learn a lot of music. So with the stick, happens the same, you know? It's just about knowing music and apply all that harmony on, on the instrument. Right, right. And never stay too long on your, uh, <laughs> how you call this, com comfort zone. Yeah, comfort zone, yeah. So I, I don't like that, you know, I don't like to be too much on a comfort zone. So I'm always trying to to practice a lot of uh, different and difficult things on the instrument. It leads me to an interesting question. How long do you, so what's an average day in, in Tomas life? How long do you practice or how many hours or what, how do you divide between bass and stick? All <laughs> those things. Well, actually... Uh, I don't really have a lot of time to practice normally because I have two kids. Oh. Small kids? And uh, Small kids? Yes. 
the the oldest she's seven and the youngest he's two and a half that takes time so they're yeah they're very small they take they take a lot of time and energy uh, but but normally when they're in school i go to my studio and it depends on the amount of work that i have you know like if i have to learn some repertoires because i have gigs so i i have to schedule my whole morning with that you know like repertoires stick whatever you know i mean these days i'm alone my kids and my wife are in galicia and um, i basically come to the studio at 10 and i start practicing until 10 o'clock the evening more or less the whole day wow normally what i do what i'm practicing i i transcribe a lot i transcribe solos and voicings and uh, actually this week I, I was busy transcribing keith jarrett you put that video uh with you playing the yan garbatic the uh, yeah album. those recordings are amazing that's beautiful yeah. uh it's called my song that album questar yeah questar yeah everything uh, yeah, that's, a great that song. that's a great song so yeah. i i transcribe a lot you know i transcribe like voicings solos from bass players, guitar players. I, I did a lot of uh, transcribing. I, I think I transcribed almost everything from Jaco. I did a lot of uh, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Pat Metheny, Keith Jarrett, Joshua Redman, Brad Meldau. Those are my heroes. Larry Grenadier is a bass player, amazing bass player. I love him. So I transcribed many things, and uh, both with the electric and the upright and also with the stick. I did a lot of Jaco with the stick too. Hmm. So that's basically what I do when I'm when I'm practicing. And that keeps you busy, right? <laughs> so a few minutes ago you were mentioning, you know, your students and stuff. Do you teach stick? Yeah, I do online lessons. I, I teach electric bass and upright and also Japanese stick. How do people contact you? They can contact me via Facebook. I have a public profile, and then they can they can contact me through Facebook. And you're just Thomas Merlo on Facebook. Exactly. Yeah, you will see me with the stick on the picture. So. <laughs> so Thomas, we really appreciate you being here with us. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's really been been cool talking to you, and learning a little bit about your journey, and it's super interesting. Thank you. And to those out there that are listening to us, thanks again for joining us. And we hope that sometime in the next day or so, you'll get a chance to pick up your instrument and play for a while. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. During this episode, we heard three songs by the Tomas Merlo Group. In order of appearance, those songs were Sigma, Pac-Man, and Delphos. Welcome your comments. You can contact us by email at tapintimepodcast at gmail.com.